Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man for whom the scenery is but an appetizer. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I love to eat me some, <laughs> uh, some random Some random set, some, some set dressing just right in my yeah. gullet. <laughs> right in my gullet. <laughs> uh, Pat. Uh, you, I saw that you tweeted about <laughs> about our uh, <laughs> our male lead here, yeah, <laughs> chewing it's, the scenery, it's and I hadn't yet watched the movie, and you were you were very accurate. Oh, it's so good that. though; I love it, man. It, it's like I heard that they want some acting in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he really gets into that. Uh, Pat, I am so happy to report that also joining us today is our old friend Stephen Goldmeyer. Uh, Stephen has been joining us uh, off and on for our entire round. His very uh, his very first episode was way back. Uh, I think Armageddon was <laughs> yeah. the first one you actually That's joined right. us for. Yeah, uh, and that was you know God, I can't that was a long time ago. It was near the beginning. Yeah, it was a very <laughs> long we were time so young. Ago. It was very near the beginning, but it wasn't. I can't remember what spine number Armageddon. It's very. Is it is very hand, early. But it is it's very the, early. It's we like were all 100. so much more naive back then. That was pre-Sallow. Yeah. That was pre. Uh, yep. It was pre-Sallow. Yeah, it was, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah we, we had no, a lot Sal- to learn. Sallow was it pre-Sallow? Sallow's very early it, too. It That's, is. It's. It, I think it's pre-Sallow, but I'm not sure. Um, it, I think it might I, not be by much, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that was a actually, time when we were still speculating as to why things were in the Criterion Collection. We gave up on that a <laughs> right. long time ago. <laughs> there is neither Actually, rhyme Sallow, nor reason to this behavior. Sallow is number seventeen, and uh, Armageddon is number forty. So we'd actually watched Sallow uh, months probably, before. Yeah. We, we had got already Ar- blacked Armageddon. it out of our minds and yeah. moved on. Which is probably yeah. I think I, I think it was pre-realization that at any point you could have another Sallow, right? Like, yeah, right, right, <laughs> I think right. at that point you had not realized like uh, any new spine could be another Sallow. There's yeah. really no way to yes. know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it might be pre-Night Porter, which is there we uh, go, yeah, <laughs> which is the next time we rolled around to something that was kind of sallow, um, yeah, and got real, uh, <coughs> real scared about what they might watch us. It was, it was fifty-nine is the Night Porter, which yeah. is uh, again a mo- a movie that I feel uh, we probably did not do justice to, but well, I also yeah. have very, very. Uh, I would rather watch Solo again than The Night Porter. Probably, I would. I uh, would say that's probably true for me too. Just because I think yeah. probably I've learned as I as this has gone on, I've I've decided there probably is more artistic merit in Solo than I gave it credit for. Yeah. Right. Uh, at the time, I was so I was so turned off by what was happening in front of me that I had trouble processing like what the point of what was happening in front of me was supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, whereas The Night Porter, I struggle to identify that a little bit. I think clear. I think all three of the movies we've re- mentioned so far have <laughs> more artistic merit than we gave them credit to at the time. True. Uh, but of the three, The Night Porter, the one that contains a concentration camp set striptease, is yeah. the one I am least interested in that, revisiting. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely even yeah. As, yeah. Even as Same I here. certainly believe it is the one I gave 
the shortest stick to. Yeah, here's yeah. the thing: you don't owe these movies stick, right? You don't, you know, right. like right. Yeah, 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 yeah. have artistic merit and also be I, something that's bad for society or something I'm not interested <laughs> in. You know, yeah. Right. So. Well, and, 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 and a right. lot of this Absolutely. this podcast does come down to our personal taste to a certain extent. And like, yeah. while those tastes have evolved, certain things are just never going to fit into that because that will have required a major shift in our fundamental core right. being to actually like. If, Enjoy if we were to revisit the Night Porter, we would have a very different conversation, but it would still be a conversation about how we don't like the Night right. Porter. Yeah, well, absolutely. and I also, yeah, I also think that um, uh, a lot of people who do film criticism and art criticism in general are very dishonest about um, how important subjective personal opinion is. And anybody yeah. who's saying that they are having a discussion about the artistic merits of something or how, how good something objectively is, is a lying dummy. So, yeah, no, absolutely. you know, so yeah, yeah. yeah. don't be too there hard was... on yourselves for, for opinion being a part of the process yeah. here. <laughs> this, this week on one of the criterion uh, groups I'm on on Facebook, somebody posted asking if there was ever a movie that other people in the group had found morally uh, objectionable. Mm -hmm. And and his example was Solo. He didn't like watching Solo. And and he tried to he tried to limit it to the Criterion Collection. So some people brought up things like Cannibal Holocaust or uh, uh, <clears throat> a Serbian film as morally objectionable. But ultimately, you know, people kept coming back to Solo. Somebody mentioned The Night Porter. Um a couple mentions of Sweet Movie, which kind of surprised me in ways because Sweet Movie I just thought was so absurd that I couldn't be <laughs> morally. Yeah, I, we, I think we both but, ended up in that yeah. category. But like right. Sweet Movie, like I could see like if your brain were in the right place, you would be like, yeah, this is right, right. disgusting. Von Trier's, Von Trier's Antichrist got mentioned a couple of times, which we mm. will watch eventually. And uh, I'm not super looking forward to that. I'm mostly not looking forward to that because I know that I'll have to convince Pat to watch it. And uh, I'm not mm. sure how I'm going to do that. Good yeah, luck with that. I'd, I'd be down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have not seen that but, one. Uh, but the only ones I could really think of that I absolutely found morally reprehensible were really Mishima's patriotism that we watched two weeks well, ago. Well, right, yeah, and 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 right. that's because like I I was it, actually this is really fascinating to me because I was listening to a podcast um, today actually, and they were talking about the idea. Uh, it's a video game podcast, but they were talking about the idea that like even like things that like art that comes even if it comes from a hyper-conservative place, can be good art uh, if it is done with, like, honesty and without exploitation and things like that. And it, and it really got me thinking about some of this kind of stuff because, like, I don't... I don't know that that's necessarily fundamentally true. Like, the content of a thing is is relevant when it comes to whether or not it is, like at least for you, good or bad art, right? Yeah, like, right. It, like, like, yeah, I mean, I guess you could make something technically good, but if it contains hyper-morally objectionable material or things like, you know, ultranationalism, I'm not going to argue that that's good art. Like, right. you, and, you can't, and you can't make me. <laughs> so I guess what I would wonder is what is the point of good art? You know, like yeah. why? Like it's an interesting, maybe a thought experiment to think about how do we define good or bad art. Right. But uh, you know, in a practical sense, what is the purpose of trying to figure out the whole? I think from the beginning, there's been some understanding that the Criterion Collection 
um, people approach it as thinking this is a collection of important movies, right? That have all right. been brought together because they're artistically the most important ones, whatever. And through sheer brute force, the Criterion Collection has taught y'all, right, that that's <laughs> yeah. not actually what this is. Yep. Right? Yep. It was a, yep. a capitalistic yep. endeavor to like release a certain corpus <laughs> of films that didn't have a way, right? So, so right. I, I'm only mentioning that like it's it it's like there's some ways in which it's interesting to think philosophically about what is like good art. But like if good art is art that like achieves its goal, you know, um, and whether I respect it or not, um, then it's going to be really, really hard to find like a regular old film that's like better art than right. pornography, for instance, because pornography right, like right, knows right. what it wants to be. Is <laughs> and it, it absolutely accomplishes it, it every time. That's right. That's <laughs> right. You know, so and so that's why I would say conversations about what is good or bad art tend to take you down a rabbit hole that's not particularly absolutely, interesting. Yeah. I, Whereas yeah, a conversation absolutely. that y'all tend to have, which is why did I like or dislike this thing, is a much more interesting conversation. Yeah, I I, so, I, I, I brought it up only because they were they were talking about specific Specifically, they were talking about video game studios and the sort of crunch phenomenon uh, yeah. and, like, and that sort of exploitation of workers and like, well, like using that as a framing device for whether or not it's good or bad art because, you know, like if you did, if you created, if you were successful in creating your video game, but you treated your workers like slave laborers. Like you didn't make good. Their argument was you didn't make good art. Like you just did. So, but then the the alternative of their argument would be if you make a very good video game, then it's worth human suffering to create it. Right. Ex- right. It's right. worth exploitation. Right. And I don't right. know if that's true. So I don't know yeah, if I no, want to engage yeah. no, with it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, that you was know, their it's framing just a... device more than anything. And that's that's actually uh, another one that got brought up in that that thread that I found very interesting was um, we watched uh, the documentary on. Um, what is it called Fritz Carlo? Uh, Carlo. Um, that's not quite the name of it, but the uh, oh, Fitzcarraldo. Uh, yeah, Fitzcarraldo. Um, but we watched the documentary on the making of it. Um, mm. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of human suffering in the name of art, it inflicted right, by right. like one person. <laughs> yeah, the movie itself is about uh, exploiting native populations right. in order to get a thing done, right. particularly to eventually build an opera house. Uh, but in the creation of that movie, as we learned in the background, <laughs> in the documentary, yeah. uh, involved exploiting native populations right. Uh, right. on the promise that they would help them in the future, which they didn't do. So, right. yeah. Uh, and that was a movie that someone said, I find that meta commentary about it on <laughs> that is morally reprehensible to me. Yeah. And I, I agree. And yeah. that's something yeah. we talked about during the episode. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Really where where the moral ha- reprehensibly, <laughs> reprehensosity, I don't even know how to form that <laughs> word, uh, is, is mostly where it pops up for me is is that meta-commentary. Uh, I think the Schrader, correct term is Paul Schrader's moral biopic. reprehensitudinationalness yeah. or something like that. Moral reprehensitudinality. That's I think that's it. That's yeah. right there. Paul Schrader's biopic on Mishima is fundamentally a well-made movie. Right. But it's not a movie that I <laughs> care to ever watch. No, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was a, this this uh, podcast, which was, it's, uh, I should probably just say the name of the podcast. I don't think it's fair to, like, comment on people's podcasts. Yeah. So that is uh, Waypoint Radio. It's the one that's done by uh, the no, people over at Vice. It's got okay. Austin Walker, who is the Friends from oh, the yeah. Table guy. Uh, and uh, it, they do. They have interesting conversations. They were not arguing that this is the end all, be all definition of good or bad video game making. They were just having a discussion about whether or not right. um, 
Like, does a does a video game automatically essentially become bad art through exploitation? Right. It was kind of the gist of it. Um, so it's just interesting. One <sighs> way yeah. that isn't, yeah. I think that there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, and I think there's a lot to unpack about what it means to expect art to like right. appeal to a mass audience. Like to me, right. there's an argument to be made that the most morally reprehensible movies are the ones that are the most expensive, right? Because they are <laughs> right. they are right. uh, converting yeah, human labor and value into something that only so, some people can enjoy. And so right. you know, at, but you know, there's just a lot of different angles on this, and I'm certainly in, yeah. I'm obviously interested to hear all those different angles, but I do think that. Um, <laughs> uh, I think we're all on the same page that it's actually more fun yeah. to be like, this is why I liked or didn't like this thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also yeah. more fun to enjoy things than to not enjoy them, <laughs> uh, which is the attitude with which I approached this movie, you know? <laughs> Well, friends, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about a Patreon for a second. It is patreon.com slash lostincriterion. If you want to support us, keep us going. We greatly appreciate those who do. Like Stephen. Stephen supports us. Hey, thanks for that. Sure thing. Uh, this is my secret <laughs> way of, you know, I, I do <laughs> donate, but not enough to have my name read. But here I am. Yeah. Still getting my credit. Yeah, he's found the back still door. Getting, <laughs> still getting. You got it. You got it. Uh so uh, Stephen is at our $1 level, which is uh, our lowest level, and it gets him access to a uh, bonus episode every month. He, you get to vote on what that bonus episode is, too. We put together a list, sometimes take user suggestions on what that list should be. And uh, it's always four related movies and then Kazam, uh, the which is always children's related. film. Which is related to all movies. It is the Ur movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Scorsese removed it from time and put it here <laughs> and now right, right. in the 90s rather than where it belongs, which is as the antecedent to all movies. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually came out in uh, 1600 BC. Yeah, was, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, but uh, that's $1 a month. Um, the entire back catalog of those, there's a. Uh, over 40 bonus episodes over there now because we've been doing that for a while too. Uh, not as long as we've been doing the main podcast, but uh, Patreon didn't exist when we started it. So we'll yes, we are up. older than Patreon. We'll chalk that and up I'm to proud that. of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, a little above that, $5 and above, we like to thank those people on air, but there is no one at that level right now. $10 and above, though, we do something that's very special. We'll thank those people on air, and we'll get to that in just a second. But what we also do at $10 and above, what makes it worthwhile is that Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized note and mail that off to you. So when the post office is functioning, that gets there uh, <laughs> early, <laughs> earlier rather than later. E- expect uh, but, to get your uh, postcard somewhere mid-2021. I'm just saying the November, <laughs> the November postcards might be there before New Year's, maybe. Maybe. Now, yeah. I think everyone, everyone should have their November postcards by now, <laughs> certainly. But... Uh, 
<laughs> but we are a little late on the draw on that one, too. Uh, but we do like to thank those people on air, as I said. So thank you so much to Christopher Otto, Jason Westhaver, Michael McGrath, Patrick Yako, Jonathan Haven, Adam Speakerman, our $10 and above supporters. And, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to get in on that. This week we are talking about our first proper Western. We, yeah. uh, we've seen some movies that are borderline Westerns. Uh, Walker is Western-esque. Okay, I would argue Walker that, is uh, a Western. Is 100% yeah. <laughs> a Western. It's just it's, not interested in the idea of, of – it's a Western that wasn't interested in making a Western. Right. It, it's like, in, well, what if we had helicopters? I don't know, man. It, in a similar manner, I think uh, Peck and Paw's Straw Dogs is something like a Western in the way, <laughs> in a different way than right, Walker right, is something like a Western. Uh, but this is a a proper Western from uh, from 1950s America, and it is certainly the uh, a more, I suppose, cerebral Western than that description might yeah, yeah. Uh, Wikipedia describes it as a Freudian Western uh, attributing although, that to uh, to its reputation um, I, I, but this although, is the theories I, right. I would say though that honestly speaking like I used to watch a fairly decent number of Westerns as a child and and as I've sort of reflected on them as an adult a decent number of Westerns actually do have a legit thing to say Oh yeah, uh, they, they, a lot yeah. of them have it are, are made with a very specific sort of point to make, and uh, this one is a little bit more broad-reaching, sort of in general. It, it, it this feels more like a stage play western, and more than anything, in a lot of ways to me. Uh, it, it sounds weird, but like I feel like you know, the, as you said, like it's a Freudian western, quote unquote. That gives it a sort of stage play feel to me for some reason. Like maybe if you combine that with the sort of over-the-top acting, you get kind of. I don't know. I I imagine like, yes, we we're putting on a western play today or something like that. Feel to me. There's yeah. There's a lot of talking in this one. And that's uh, yeah. that's not always true of of westerns. And there's a, there's right. a lot of talking in this one. Um, but it's still it's still got at least one decent action sequence too. Yeah, so, I think it has know, in fact one action <laughs> yes. sequence. Yeah, it has one exactly one. <laughs> you know, there's Listen, like if you count the. F- the first time a rock gets thrown down a hill, <laughs> it's, it's two it's action 1. sequences. It's 1.5. 1.5. Yeah. Yeah. 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, this is directed by Anthony Mann, as it said, it is from 1950. It stars Barbara Stanwyck, um, Wendell Corey, Walter Houston, who is our, our, our scene eater. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy. Yeah, howdy. Boy, howdy, you see. Uh, oh, boy. But, yeah, it is uh, yeah, 1950. Uh, the director, Anthony Mann... Uh, in a 57 interview, uh, described the similarities he felt that this film had to Dostoevsky's The Idiot, um, which puts it, I only mention because it puts it in a, uh, in a cadre of films that we've talked about on this on this podcast that are vaguely related to the idiot. There was a, I, yeah. a string of three or four movies we had one one month a few years ago where each one the director or <laughs> yeah. someone involved had said that it was inspired by some aspect of the idiot. Hmm. Um, the only you, thing that really lives on in this one is the love triangle aspect. Uh, I it feel doesn't. I, I and the like, bad end, I guess. Everybody sort of hits a bad end in this one. Well, kind of, but, but, but it's an American Western movie bad end, so kind of nobody <laughs> right. does. Right. Um, 
Like I would ar- I think that we missed a calling, which was we could have probably just made a podcast where we watch movies that have at some point been described as Dostoevsky esque. <laughs> right. Like right. It, it's probably could we could have done a full podcast just on that because, as far as I can tell, at it some also point or another, years. yeah, exactly. At some point or another, every director's like, you know what? I think my movies are Dostoevsky esque. <laughs> I've uh, I've certainly not read The Idiot and yeah. possibly any Dostoevsky. Well, you didn't want a second job, so that's why. <laughs> uh, right, exactly. Uh, I I'm already employed. Thank you. Um, I don't know. I uh, which which means that some of this is lost on me. Uh, yeah. So, but it also means that I don't, uh, to a certain extent, um, when I approach a movie like this, uh, I don't actually. Right, filmmakers can baggage. think whatever they want to think. Right, <laughs> right, but, right uh, absolutely. I'm in the uh, same bo- ballpark. This was there. like yeah, an extremely talky western yeah. that uh, uh, it might not be entirely clear on how it wants to portray <laughs> like female empowerment and how it wants to portray the greed of of you know the West and things like that. Um, right. Yeah. But anyway. Right. That's. I mentioned the the idiot. Um, I have read The Idiot, and I'm the only one he's on the, the only, this podcast yeah, the right now who has read The Idiot, so I'm going to <laughs> okay. speak with authority. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Idiot is a story about a a guy who is called an idiot because he wants to live uh, essentially a peaceful life. Uh, what uh, an idiot. Dostoyevsky what a, frames what a maroon. It as, <laughs> Dostoyevsky frames it as someone who's trying to in, inhabit the teachings of Jesus Christ in the modern era. And the point of the book is to say that maybe won't turn out well. Um, mm. But then again, it didn't super turn out well for the Jesus guy either, historically speaking. So uh, I guess there's that too. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the rub there is that, that, that yeah, the, yeah. the modern era part is probably not actually technically <laughs> right. necessary to the discussion, but, you know. But who do, who do you think the director thinks is the idiot in this then? Right. And that's that's the yeah. issue is is where it feels like where it's really just the the brother that we never the, see after like the beginning of yeah. the movie, right? He the is that big, that big square boy is is yeah, yeah, yeah he's idiot. like I'm gonna <laughs> go be happy. Boy. See y'all later. I'm made out of one wooden block carved yeah. into the shape of a man. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, definitely the prototypical SpongeBob SquarePants. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> the thing. The thing about movies that the director has said, well, there's something about the idiot in this, is is that sometimes they're very explicit. Uh, like Bresson describing Alhazar Balthasar as based on a, a, a story told in a single paragraph by the idiot. <laughs> um, in the idiot. Um, but uh, uh, here, the real only aspects in the idiot... The main character falls in love with a woman who is in love with a different man. And then that man ends up murdering her, uh, goes to prison, and that whole action and his inability to have seen it coming or do anything about it uh, puts the idiot into a catatonic state at the end of the narrative. Cool. So... Uh, it's Russian. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) uh, The, uh, I mean, so the aspect of the idiot that I see here is the love triangle. And as far as the director is concerned, that would mean that Harara is the idiot. Um, Yeah. Not that Harara is especially 
inhabiting of the other character aspects of the idiot. But I mean, I guess in, you could. I mean, if you like really like close your eyes and squint real hard, you can kind of get an interpret like just like we're here, just leave us alone. That's all we really want yeah. is to be here and be left alone. Uh, right. It's sort of Herrera's um, sort of main That's- motivation, but. Harara, uh, he he is my favorite character here, and his 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 family and the uh, the alluded to other publicitas on the Fury's land, uh, because these are these are the people being actively displaced by right uh, yeah. by but you know, uh, rip <laughs> or not rip but uh, TCC well, efforts. Pretty so, much all of the... them, right? Like everybody. That's the interesting thing, right here, is that like all of our ostensible sort of main character good guys are all actively engaged basically in the same fundamental plot, right? Like, right. in different ways. They're all going about it in different ways, but every time they get the reins of power, that's, like, next step, right? Like, right. Here's TC the thing. wants, you know... Yeah. I'm I'm not convinced this movie thinks that it's a bad thing that the Herreras are being oh, right. kicked no, they, off they their don't. land. They don't. So, no. so, but I also want to be very clear. I don't know that this movie thinks of the Herreras as complicated or interesting in any way either. Right? They no, are yeah. they are a prop for the work that gets done between TC Vance and Darrow or whatever his name is. Right? Yeah. Right? yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like I, I, I'm interested to hear you say, Adam, that you found uh, Herrera to be the most in, one of one of your favorite characters. I found him to be almost furniture right uh it sucks i but i agree (laughs) you know that he is almost furniture he i find him to be the most compelling character not for what the movie does to him but for where he exists within the narrative that the movie is actually well functioning around and i'm i'm also very interested in this idea that there just seems to be a lot of people of let's say hispanic descent it's very unclear i would imagine mexican Mm. right uh but it's very whatever uh people like that on on the staff of of tc's ranch but then also people who live out in these 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 little villages and the herreras and all that and there's something there that could be like really interesting about the relationship that tc has to this community but instead it really is just very like you know uh, Capulets and Montagues kind of like oh but she has a secret love affair with the man that the father is trying to kick off right. the land you know and right. I, yeah, there's just there's a lot of drama here and I'm I'm I've spent some time trying to think through what kind of like the political. So, all right, let me just put it this way. I recently saw the musical Oklahoma for like the first time, and that mm-hmm. is just like a really. Uh, it has a lot to say, weirdly, about like politics and and power and and things like that. Um, and it has spoiled me because a lot of these other movies <laughs> that think they have a lot to say about politics and power because they have a lot of content about it, right? Uh, maybe don't have as much to say, and it actually are kind of just more like a swindler adventure of you know like a, right. a you know anyway. So I, that's yeah. that's where I kind of landed well, watching. I, I, right. I my thought on that is 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 this is that this movie like says a lot of things like doesn't say a lot of things in sort of like the sort of um you know I'm making a political statement way but a lot of things come out that give you a really solid framing of how even when this movie was made Americans thought about the you know pos- like the 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 sort of like occupation of the West, right? Like into Mm. the modern day, right? Like it's, it's like the people that they're trying to get rid of are the, are definitely the rightful owners of this land. Right? Like 100%. Right. And, 
everybody is on board with with booting them and all have just sort of slightly different like theories about how like the nice one is in theory the daughter because she's the one who wants to ask them nicely to leave and hopefully use her influence with them to get them to leave but she's only interested in asking the one she has a personal relationship no that's what i'm saying that's that's what i mean is that like my point is, is that that's she's air quotes the one being nice about it. Right, sure, sure. Is right. the one who's like, I'm going to use my influence with this one who I am friends with, who also, de- who's in love with me, also apparently. Right. To like, right. to to maneuver them out rather than like murder them out, right. and she's like, right. kind of the nice one. Like, there's it no feels, there's no yeah. other option uh, initiated. Like, there's never considered the possibility that like, oh. You have this enormous tract of land for like a bunch of cows. Like they could just live there. They're not in the right. way. Man. The uh, archetypes in this movie aren't aren't wanting to talk about American expansionism. They're wanting to talk about King Lear. They're yeah. <laughs> and and like Shakespeare's tragedies about kings. Uh, right. This is much more interested in the ruling class than in how it actually affects the underclass. In as much as, even with King Lear and and say Macbeth or other things like that, the underclass class also only shows up to further the plot or right. murder somebody when it comes someone. time. Yeah. Right. I think that's. I think that is one hundred percent right. Right. So I think in yeah. the end, we don't think Vance is good because she wants to save one of the groups of people living on the land. No, we think yeah. she's good because she wants to save her her old childhood friend. Right, uh, and and every aspect of this, the morals of this, really come down to like you know who knows who, you know, and like what loyalties right. and friendships and and f- familiar relationships people have with each other. Not about what they owe to each other, or you know, the idea that that TC's been spreading around all this like fake money and swindling people. Uh, at at some point, seems like it could be about you know like what his position is within the community and you know if he's like respected or whatever but it isn't it's actually a plot device that is used later for his his daughter to really right. like to give him, him come up and, yeah exactly right. yeah. Where it, it could be about you know like what is your relationship tc to the the people that actually live sort of your serfs that live on your land right right <laughs> um but it never really is about that it never really is about that i like the movie is like um very willing to like let TC execute a man for stealing a horse, you know, like, uh, right. Yeah. It doesn't seem like we spend a lot of time thinking like, is he even allowed to do that? No, of course he is. Right. The movie's like, yeah, he could do whatever he wants. These are squatters on his property. He's doing them a kindness by not murdering all of them, you know? So, yeah. So I think the movie's like you say, Adam, much, much more interested in the personal power dynamics of this, like this bunch of ruling class people. Right. And where that where that breaks down, like you already mentioned, uh, TC staff, do they all live on the Hacienda or do they live in these Pueblositas that are also being burnt down? These are their families, right? They didn't just arrive out of the blue with TC. Well, maybe El Tigre did, but other right. than that. A, a war criminal. <laughs> right. <laughs> brought, not brought under TC's <laughs> right, way. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, like. They have to know somebody, but we're not interested in what their opinions on all of this are, except that it's their paycheck, so they also laugh at Vance when Vance is, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and they feel they feel sympathy, or or at least <laughs> they stare at Vance with judgment when <laughs> uh, she stabs Flo, right? 
Right. Not that they are especially sympathetic to Flo, who is just a, another string of, in a long string of outsiders exercising power over them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. well, and, and I think that's, you know, it, it, the the problem then you get into them with this movie is that you're like left with, okay, well, we have to pay attention to this, this following cadre of people, all of whom I find deeply unsympathetic. Like, right. What and, right. and like it's not terrible. It gets a sort of you the vibe I start getting is like, um, what was that show? Shit, I can't, my brain wants to say Real Housewives, but I've never actually watched Real Housewives. That show that was on MTV where they put a bunch of people in a house and they were like, Oh, the oh, real world, uh, yeah, the real world, yeah, real world basically, or, you get a, yeah, well, yeah, basically, the, the, the real world like is, that, yeah. yeah, I never watched The Big Brother either, but like, I watched The Real World, I remember as a teenager or I guess preteen, probably, and uh. And like that—that's where you kind of end up with like, oh well, all these people kind of suck. So I'm just watching them try to like hurt each other. I'm, and, yeah, uh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm really interested in in thinking through what the movie wants us to actually like feel for these people, though, right? Because I think the movie wants us to like TC. I, you know, in the end, this this movie is like incredibly, incredibly kind to TC, right? Like, right. Uh, you know, he hit like when he's his big speech about, well, I started from scratch. I'll start over, you know, that kind of thing. That's all like very, quote unquote, likable behavior, right? That we're supposed right. to well, I that's think, all see the, that as that's like, all the American dream sort of. Yeah, stuff, that's right. right. And he really like, you know, symbolizes that stuff. And it uh, I think it's. A very, I think it's actually one of the more interesting things that happens in the movie that he gets his comeuppance at the hands of, you know, the 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 seeds that he has sowed previously. But I also right. don't know that it's happening. I don't know that it's happening because uh, the movie feels he deserves to be killed. I think it's happening because the movie uh, has gears that it's turning, you know, and and him sort of like dying in the end, uh, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that the movie really thinks he's like a, a bad guy for hanging, for hanging well, uh, the Herrera. Right. The Herrera right. No, families. I don't. Yeah. The interesting thing I think is what what I find fascinating is is the movie because it can't sort of see like like most things that they talk about this, especially a little, you know even in modern commentary that talk about these sorts of things, it can't sort of see past its own nose. So like it's like he's describing his sort of how he's the uh, he's basically describing the american dream right but it's also definitely textually in the movie based on him buying land that's been stolen from 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 native peoples right like it's very textually in the movie that that's what he did and he's describing that as self-made man right so what we're ending up with it i don't think the movie necessarily wants to talk about that but what we end up because the movie doesn't know the movie's so seems so kind of unaware of itself that it still brings up those things so it ends up sort right. of meta talking about that problem well in the movie anyway but like never addressing it in the you know what i mean it's like it's in the movie you're on a track there that i think the the title of the film gets us to too and it's really it's it's where where the title, where the line is drawn, right? Because right. the Furies, the the Greek myth Furies, and right. you know certainly Greek tragedy is something else that plays into this and take, right. plays into the Shakespeare stuff. It's it's drawing off of the Furies are goddesses of vengeance and right. retribution. You know they they punish men for crimes against the natural order, which here is the hierarchical order of of the gods too, right? Right. Um, 
So, yes, the land is named The Furies, but this is a movie that is about vengeance. So whose vengeance is it really invested in? Well, plot-wise, we're mostly invested in Vance's vengeance. Right. Um, And to a certain extent, we are invested in Mother Herrera's vengeance. Yeah. In that it does... It does the the ultimate piece of tragedy as far as the movie is concerned, right? Right. Or or perhaps penultimate in that uh, it is that action that also convinces Vance to marry a guy who doesn't love her right. so that they can have a dynasty baby. <laughs> He's a piece of shit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, another uh, characteristic of Furies is that they're female, right? And uh, right. there are... There are two parallel tracks of female vengeance running through this, right? The Vance mm-hmm. one and the Herrera one, you know. And right. to to his, I, I listen. There's uh, for as much as I can talk about this movie, really not being really holding together in an ideological sense and saying like really interesting stuff. It is uh, structurally very sound and very nice to look at, and um, and uh, sometimes and. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so this idea that Vance is kind of on this very long vengeance streak, uh, against her own father while this other woman is on a a vengeance streak and the idea that her vengeance streak is to like take the ranch and get it back into her hands, but it's ultimately going to be empty. Right. Um, uh, I don't know what the movie would say if we could get into the 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 mother Herrera head uh, and ask like you know what would the movie think of her actions? Would the movie say after you kill him, how are you going to feel? The same way it says to Vance, after you take all his money, how are you going to feel? Is it going to be enough? Would it say to her, you know, does the movie have the same moral kind of concern with her vengeance as it does with Vance's vengeance? Anyway, I don't know. I think there's something there to to think about. You know, right, right, and if the I don't know that the movie's interested in pulling that thread anymore, right. but with Vance and Rip or whatever stepping in to control the Furies, the property, has her situation, has, has Herrera's situation changed in any meaningful way having having committed that act of vengeance? Right. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I, and yeah, I think you're right I mean, that the movie's not, not interested. Right? I, again, I really think the, <laughs> yeah. you're right. The movie's not interested. I, what I'm right. getting at is, I think it would be interesting to see. Yeah, right. we yeah, are I would want yeah. the like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of this. <laughs> right. You know? Right. I would right. want Absolutely. to like see the Herrera's sort of perspective on this, because right. as far as that mother knows, right, like um, her yeah. her son's childhood friend rolled in, uh, caused a bunch of trouble, and then her childhood friend's dad <laughs> rolled up. You know. Uh, right. Anyway, and they're like protecting right. her from from you know the vengeance uh, uh, from the act that she's committed against whatever the woman's name was. Uh, yeah, Burnett. Flow. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I, I like I'm interested in this whole. There's a whole other shadow right. plot there that's like you right. know what does vengeance look like from that other side, which is very I. I, I'm only paying attention to it because of this this prompt of like if we're thinking about the Furies as these sort of quote unquote female uh, vengeance spirits, where do we see these in the movie? And uh, yeah, it, feel, it feels like there might be more there. Uh, they just the movie's maybe not interested, <laughs> right? <laughs> only right. interested enough to be like, well, there's another another woman seeking vengeance, and that's that's parallel, you know. Anyway, right. And the right, you know, yeah. uh, messages that I could hope to take from the movie that I don't know that the movie's necessarily in talking about either are 
the futility of that vengeance right. and, mm-hmm. and how it's only all it does is create more violence right um but right. but the violence in this situation is ultimately not not triggered by anyone's vengeance it's triggered by tc's greed right so, right well and that's the that's the inter- well keep in mind rip is also getting vengeance right like that's that's part of it right like he's not right. a woman but rip he is, is also vengeance too. rip is also a victim a victim of tc's greed right as far and, as rip is concerned right. yeah and and the interesting thing about it is is that I you know if we're going to get into sort of sort of theatrical sort of like design here like it, it's fairly safe to say that we're probably in a sort of cyclical thing right like like their Rip and Vance are going to make their dynasty baby but they don't like each other very much and like this is all going to fall apart and there's going to be more vengeance probably later down the road uh, it's probably safe to say um, and you know. At this point, probably the Herrera's will, or you know, the Herrera, his, I mean, like, that family will get kicked off, but then, like, you know, will they also seek more vengeance because they've been, you know what I mean? Like, this is definitely not the end of vengeance. I think the movie wants to sort of wrap it in a bow and make it the end of a vengeance, but I don't think it, like, we can kind of easily see that it's not going to be. Yeah. Um, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, and, the movie is definitely very interested in wrapping things in a bow. Yeah, you know, no, yeah. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> right, get this right. very, very big feeling of like, ah, what a great man TC was. What a shame he had to go this way and, you know, whatever it might be. Because I don't really, I don't even recall Vance being like, I'm not going to be like him, right? I think the whole the whole thing is she no, wants to be all. exactly like him, right? No, and absolutely. She saw the end and, that he came to and she's still, you know, so yeah. <laughs> and, and her, and a lot of her vengeance is about the fact that she was planning to become him and right. he took that away from her, right? Like, I mean, that was, that was what was on track to happen, right? Like, she was already stepping into his sort of seat of power, and then she was suddenly now going to be stripped of that and sent on a tour of Europe or whatever. Right. And so now her vengeance is about the fact that she isn't being allowed to turn into her father, and you know, and now and you know now the only the really funny thing because it is definitely an American movie made in this era is that like. It's like, ooh, can we let her be the one in charge? Oh, we'll leave it ambiguous. We'll decide. We won't decide right. who. Let's get a man who's in, in charge of this ranch. So let's get a man who can also theoretically be in charge. Well, so I'm interested definitely in right. this this right. Uh, this angle where people w- might describe this as a Freudian uh, Western, right? Like, um, for instance, like as soon as as soon as new mom uh, Flo, whatever her name is, appeared on scene, um, I wrote in my notes. All right. Countdown until she gets murdered, right? Right, uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, because right, right, you know, right. I, you just get this. Uh, as as sections, there are things that I love about different sections of this movie. I'm just not sure that I'm convinced that they all work together. And the mm-hmm. stuff that's going on with, um, you know, with like Vance and the dad, and the like, they they keep having these great scenes in the mom's old bedroom, like when right. when. Burnett is Flo, whatever is in the bedroom, and she and and Vance is like, "What are you doing in here?" And she's like, "Oh, please come in." I was just like, "Oh no, you don't." No, yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> "This I is where it happens." They, I, yeah, I liked how they were like, "You know what? You know what we're gonna do? Check off scissors." Like early on, like when she's like she's holding the right, scissors, right. she's like, 
She's yeah, playing yeah. with she's like, in the first I was scene. like, oh, yeah. she's going to stab somebody with those scissors. It's going to happen. Somebody's getting yeah. stabbed. And then we meet Flo, and I'm like, oh, I know who's getting stabbed. This is who's getting stabbed, yeah. <laughs> yep, this is, uh, like, actually, it was a bit of a letdown in terms of just, like, the the meta of the movie that it was just a stabbing and not a murder, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that regard, the, the whole mom's bedroom uh, reminded me of mm-hmm. Rebecca, the Hitchcock movie. Um, and it didn't, it didn't quite play even Shakespearean in right. the way that it could have played. The ghost of the mom does not tower over no. this movie at all. Yeah. Despite the fact that we have the room yeah. dedicated to her, all you needed her. was one. They even uh-huh. had a giant painting, and they like, they're like, "Oh no, we're not going to use that metaphorically <laughs> <No>. that much." <laughs> I mean, so the idea that it's Freudian suggests, right. at least, that uh, you know, the classic quote unquote, when people say Freudian, they mean uh, someone who wants to right, uh, right, right. marry or have sex with the parent of of one gender and what? replace slash destroy the parents of the other gender. Well. And that I was, is not I, the, I, you know. Right. Yeah, that's not exactly the vibe. It's more like I mean, this movie, the, she, yeah, you said it before. She wants to become her dad, right? And that's yeah, just not, not her mom. She wants to be her dad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the interesting thing about it is is that my, my other, the other option for Freudian is the interpretation where everything's just a dick. And I was like hunting and I was like, like I read that I was like, okay, I started like cattling in my head like what in here looks like a dick? All Let's right, see, come on, cactuses, Pat, come on. Uh, yeah, it's like what, what other what other log things are there? Oh man, come on, Pat, you can do this. The scissors yeah. are definitely Oh yeah, a dick. no, definitely, um, definitely. Well, so if she wants to be her dad and we take the scissors as a dick, then she definitely fucked her new mom <laughs> with the scissors. This is gross. I'm turning the podcast off. Yeah. I'm going I, I home, think I'm gonna the, go I down. think the movie is not necessarily looking for a directly parallel kind no, of Freudian no, thing. No, but I, I think not. it is. Right, right, right. It is it, uh, you know, there is some sort of interesting and very, very male, um, but certainly a common trope in these kind of dramatic power play kind of movies of like the child trying to replace the parent and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not, you know, in a lot of ways, this is just using its uh this movie wants to have its cake of like male power tropes but eat its like right. fragile female cake too right like it, you know right. it wants to have the cake of like trying to take over dad's position of power and and consolidating all this money but it also loves the scenes where you know the woman gets like grabbed by a man who's like you like it a little rough well, don't right. you yeah, you know I mean, like <laughs> it wants to, it wants to it definitely wants to have it desperately wants it to be to do that classic trope of like oh the 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 uppity woman got slapped and now she's desperately in love with the person who slapped her. Right. So there, like, we've seen that. The so first many, person who yeah. slapped her, she explicitly yeah, it's says, like, "Oh, finally, somebody slapped me around, yeah. and now I know who I'm in love with." It's like, oh my god, right. what are we doing here? Right. Where this where this movie is actually Freudian is the uh, the concept of penis envy is right, really yeah. the only yeah, that, place that it's is, really yeah. Freudian. Yeah. I I like my <laughs> version better because it requires yeah. me to think of the entire movie I, that way. Listen, I like both your versions. That's it's good, but yeah, I really think yeah, that's it what it boils yeah. down to. Mm. Um, you know, hmm. I always, I always want to think about a movie broader than what it is. Um, <laughs> and 1950s screenwriters, at least, maybe not Man himself, but maybe the screenwriter might be more sympathetic to my politics than the movie itself is sympathetic to. So I think there's also something in it that we are talking about a captain of industry who's paying people in script yeah, absolutely. with yeah, his own right. name on it. Uh, keep in, keep in mind. We're not that far, but the movie doesn't explore. Yeah. No, that it doesn't either. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I mean, I, except I for been, like, I would but, be glad to hear it, right? You know, here's, a, here's <laughs> right. what I'll say. Okay, let, let's assume that you're making a movie for a large studio. I'll assume this came out from a large studio. Uh, this is a stipulation I'm not going to explore or investigate at all. Um, <laughs> Done. And Taken. it's not been that long since studios were pe- playing people in script. This is a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, and theoretically, our screenwriter could even have been paid in script at some not not now not when he was writing but at some point previously in his life uh again not going to explore or investigate this possibility at all um but my point was that like if you're like trying to sneak some subtle commentary about this bullshit under the nose of the people who are also the people who did that hmm. then having this asshole captain of industry who pays people in script be foisted by the script that he was paying people in. Right. It's about as good as you can get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I yeah. I think if if we have an idea of a sort of uh quasi Marxist uh screenwriter, which is something that comes up in a lot of material about this era of film, uh sneaking in right. uh, a, a a bit where where you're really saying, "Hey bosses, what are you going to do when everybody just has right. script? How you how are you going to get right, paid right, when right. everybody just has script?" What I think uh, is is a thing, but yeah, I think it, it's I think not if much this of got a made thing. today, right? Then I think there's just so much good fuel here for the power dynamics and and economics that sort of marxist theory thing there's also right. room for the female right. empowerment narrative there's also room for the sort of com- complex sexual dynamics of you know a woman who like really loves to be in charge throughout the day but also like maybe enjoys you know being pushed around right. and and slapped in the you know in a in a sexual kind of relationship which is like a thing that might be interesting to explore also you know anyway like the idea that you have like a very dominant woman who likes to be submissive in her in her private encounters is i don't know there's maybe something there anyway i just keep thinking about stuff where they're like my or the dynamic between the like squatters and the landowner there's just so many things that i feel like would really benefit from a lot more exploration and the movie is yeah. just definitely mostly interested in the personal dynamics between the dad the daughter and this outsider rip at those are like the main things that the movie is really interested in so you know fine I, I fine I have no complaints it was fine I enjoyed it but you know I just there are these glimpses of like you know this this there's a lot of stuff here that I'd be really interested to see a lot more about you know right right mm. Which I think that might be typical of, you know, film at the time. I mean, basically when when this was adapted from a novel, and of course I have not read the novel, uh, I would not be surprised to discover that it follows the novel like really beat for beat, you know, and it like really just recreates the plot of the novel. Yeah, I Um, I think and that's probably probably almost be more where some of this is coming from than the screenwriter himself there's a decent chance because yeah a lot of these kind of movies are just like yep we made the mo- the book into this book that maybe wasn't that popular but somebody liked right. into a movie and we did it 
and that's it's it's happened. <laughs> like, well, and also I think they're probably when they make these kinds of movies trying to just make an adventure, right? They're not necessarily trying to right, make something yeah. that you know, and that's uh, that's very Shakespearean in its own way, right? Uh, there's a lot you can sort of unpack from it about power, and this complexity is all really there, uh, but it's mostly there to just entertain people, you know, to like really just create sort of like a a, 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 a spectacle. Um, right. So yeah. Anyway. But well, I, and, that, one, and that definitely yeah. that that's definitely obvious in the way it wraps up in the sense that like oh all the we got to tie this in a bow it's got to end right like when you're just trying to make something that's like fun to watch that's how you're like you don't want to you don't want a complicated end to a thing that is just fun to watch right like you want it to end all neat and right. tidy everybody's exactly where they ought to be right Right. If you're trying to adapt like a very dense literary work where the ending is everybody is everybody dies because of their selfishness. Right. This movie is like such a great blueprint of how do you turn that into a pseudo feel good, neat little bow. You know what I mean? Like like you could, you know, just slightly differently. And this is like totally Shakespearean tragedy. But the way that it's done, it actually wraps up as like, oh, old TC is going to ride off into the sunset. Oh, TC was a good man. You know, like whatever. Right. Like <laughs> if you want a, a, a formula for how to wrap up a Shakespearean mm-hmm. tragedy in a kind of a feel goody way, this movie could show you how to do that. <laughs> Oddly enough, the screenwriter yeah. of this also wrote the postman always rings twice, uh, which is, you know, just an yeah. interesting thing. He also, yeah, he also interestingly wrote a book called they dream of home, um, which seems like it might be an inspiration for that. Uh, we did a bonus episode on post-World War II movies. Uh, where right. we ended up, I can't remember the name of the movie we ended oh, up watching. Oh, right, but it's, right, right. Uh, this, likewise, is about uh, uh, post-war, pers- post-World War II vets returning home to, uh, to a world that has moved on without them mm. uh, while they've been away as well. Um, so you know, I, again, I can't, I can't speak to the actual screenwriter of this or or the author or man's politics, but there are there are interesting yeah. ideas in work that 100%. they have done. Certainly, I'd be interested to hear your your all's take on the visuals of this film. So I personally found that all of the indoor scenes were infuriating, infuriatingly boring to watch, and all the outdoor <laughs> scenes were like really beautiful. And like actually very striking and like composed, you know. <laughs> so that that's my right loose takeaway. Yeah, I, uh, that yeah. that kind of checks out. Like I I think that that probably has a lot to do with like oh somebody told us we were making a western and then you put it all inside. We only brought the western <laughs> equipment. Like you know what I mean? Like the oh we were, thought we were shooting this all outdoors. What do you mean we're it's all indoors? Um, yeah, like it has that kind of feel. Uh, if I. If I understand correctly, uh, this movie was shot on location in Tucson, uh, so there is that aspect of you point the you point the camera at a pretty and thing, it's automatically and, pretty, uh, yeah, and you'll get a pretty shot when you're right, outside. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I I agree with you that the interiors were all pretty boring and also all much larger. All felt much larger yeah. than they should. Yeah, have no, been. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's it felt like they wanted to have like a drawing room, like a play kind of feel, but then they yeah. accidentally put yeah, it in a music played. hall. Yeah. They're like, oh, let's 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 <laughs> do a drawing room, uh, like uh, some sort of drawing room drama. And they're like, oh, I know a room's perfect for this. 
the uh, the conference room at the day right. the, at the day's <laughs> end. Yeah. It's like no, it's not. Like you have so much space for no reason. Like there where there should Rips. be close ups, there's not. It's just all like pretty wide shots of everybody on air quotes on stage at the time. Yeah, and that and that's yeah. kind of an odd choice Rips, that they made. Rip's apartment appears to be the entire second floor of both the saloon and right. the bank right, combined. Right. Well, but um. I'm not necessarily even just talking about you know. But yeah. I, so, for instance, when I think about this movie and I try to think like visually what I liked about it, you know, um, right. I can. It's very hard to pinpoint any scenes except you know that the uh, the you know the hanging scene. Uh, there, it's just staged in a very dramatic way, right? Like the, you, uh, I don't know if you recall right. this, but there basically is a close-up on the mother's face, and then in the background you see Vance and the son, right, as they're talking about what's going to yeah. happen to him, which, uh, n- you know, maybe on purpose, uh, you know, or maybe as an accident of staging, creates this very real feeling of like the the mother is the biggest thing in the picture, and so when she comes back later right. to shoot him, it's like yeah, that's what I expected because of the visual language of that earlier right. scene. Right. I think that's and probably that's, a, cho- a purposeful choice. Yeah. Well, and so but there's that's, very little yeah. of that in this is what I'm getting at, right? right, is right, that, right. You know, that's one of the only times I can remember where I was like, okay, what they're doing on the like physical space of the screen is telling me something about what is happening. In general, I felt like they were right. just in rooms with cameras and there wasn't a lot of attention paid to like what was on screen and how the scene was laid out and stuff like that you know the the only place i would i i have thoughts on that otherwise is the the offices tc's office is like who's who's in the chair and like the angle they're shot Uh, from seems to be pretty important like Mm -hmm. whenever like when when tc's in charge it's from behind him, and we see the view of the people who came in. When Vance is in charge, we get the same thing uh, a lot. And then when, uh, like, but then when she's ousted, it's suddenly from her view looking into the office, which is a which is a dramatic shift. We we never got that shot otherwise until she's kicked out, and then she's not the center of attention anymore uh, for the family at least. And suddenly now we're looking into the office. We literally have never seen his desk from that angle until then, as far as I can remember. That's uh, a great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise every other room in the house is just like, Hey, look at this wall. Yeah. <laughs> and, and these people standing in front of this wall. Um, right. With, you know, the mom's bedroom is at least more ornate than just the wall. Right. But it's, uh, but, but not again, much, as it's not very dynamic. Said, yeah. I don't think. You know that the the spirit of the mother aspect of this is not maybe it's just it's not as rich than, as I think we would well want, the the, but it's the not painting as rich as is in be. there and I think that's probably what they were going for but they didn't get the scale and everything right with the paint you know what I mean like there's a very large painting of the mother that's in almost all of those scenes but the problem is right. is that she that painting doesn't dominate the scene like you would want to in like even other movies that are trying to get across this point, right? Like that painting should be yeah. unwieldy large. You know what I mean? If we want to do that, right? It's like where like where like you almost border on comedic problems of people trying to work around this enormous painting, right? If you want to like have it be the ghost that dominates the room. And instead it's just sort of there, like lingering over and it never like is kind of air quotes in the way. So it never well, what's a comes a problem? What the painting does function to do is give us the non-penis envy Freudian aspect yeah. of this <laughs> that she is wearing the dress, Vance right, right, is right. wearing the dress that Mom is wearing. I think maybe it painting, can just be right? both. Like basically, but, it's like both versions of that just jammed together, <laughs> like almost. 
well, I think yeah. there's, she wants I to think, be mom and dad. I think one one thing that I want to make sure that I I do sort of foreground though is like maybe this is all in the movie, right? All the stuff that we're saying, like oh, I wish they'd yeah. done more than this. Oh yeah, but yeah. It, yeah. it's just incredibly fast, and I you know like this this movie moved so so fast, uh, and there's not a lot. I, I wouldn't. Um, it's uh, interesting to watch a movie that moves so fast, where I'm still during it, kind of thinking like. I don't know how interested I am in this particular thing. Cause usually if something's moving right. this fast, it's like easy to get swept up in it. But anyway, right, right, um, right. there's like, there's a chance that in that dense sort of onslaught of stuff that's happening in this movie, that when I watch it the second, third or fourth time, I'll be like, Oh, they actually are doing all this like really interesting stuff. But I think, uh, some people would couch this as well moviegoers are stupider now right and they need things more explicitly spelled out to them but I would couch it as I like art that is refined to achieve the purpose it sets out to achieve right right uh, yeah in no, an, I an economic way, way right and so I, yeah. I think that there's a more economical version of this movie right that takes out a, a, a bunch of stuff and heightens some of the stuff that we're talking about that would more appeal to my modern movie economy movie language sensibilities but I don't want to dismiss the possibility that, you know, someone who's seen this movie 10 times might say like, oh, but there was this point where the camera focused on this and you saw this in the background. And I'd be like, right, right fair enough. Right, right. You know, right, that's, right, that's not yeah. my sensibilities, though. <laughs> this is this is perhaps the first movie we have ever experienced on this podcast that would benefit from the Ryan Murphy miniseries adaptation. Right. I was thinking that, uh, too. Being made I would today, love to watch right? five episodes of this for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, because right. well, but yeah, with five episodes and a sort of modern, uh, a more <laughs> modern way of thinking, you would have time to, for example, explore the Herrera family a little bit better right. and understand right. their deal. And uh, you know, the, with five episodes, you'd have a background story on the Herreras for the last three centuries. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> living on this land. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, right? Yeah. No. So, you, you. You. It gives or you like a lot some more flashbacks of the mom. You know, so yeah. we could actually get a sense right. of like why right. everybody cares about this but, mom okay. so much. But he, yeah. Like, keep in mind, though, depending on what, who's made, like, the potential for it to just be still absolutely fucking terrible is still there, right? Like, like, even in our five, like, it could, like, I can very clearly also see the version of that, the the bad HBO version of this, where it's like, oh, yeah, the mother Herrera's actually used to be in love with TC, and they hadn't elicited, you know what I mean? Like, that could totally happen, and that would (laughs) ruin it worse. It would get worse, not better in that scenario, right? Um, I just yeah. So, I just oh, wish why it were is she slower. so angry? It's not about her oppression <laughs> of her people. It's about their illicit love affair they had when they were both young and right. And he got yeah. married to this other lady and uh, I don't even have two love triangles. In it. It. I just want it to be slower. I just want it to spend yeah. a little bit more time. You know, like there, like there's that the great another sort of visually striking moment that swept me up was after Vance throws the knife at at Florence Henderson, whatever her name is. I uh, <laughs> Burnett. I'm not yes. sure. Um, yeah, I don't know either. After she throws the knife at her and she comes down the stairs kind of slowly and everybody else is like really rushing up the stairs and like looking at her, that feeling of her finally like being like alienated from this world fully. That's a big turning point and actually really works in the movie. Um, you know, and I, I wish more of it had that that dramatic, slow feeling to it, right? Because that's, I don't know, that I think that um, the way that I appreciate drama is in stillness and slowness, not necessarily in like the fast talk and all the stuff that was happening in a bunch of the other scenes. Right, and, and that's the interesting thing though, right? Is like, if you look at this movie and let's like, 
I mean, the movie made a decent amount of money. Like, I mean, it's I mean, it made one point five million box office or something pretty crazy like that. Like, I guess that makes this a pretty popular movie. Um, mm. it, it's interesting to me. I assume that the thing that people were like really keying into was things like Walter Houston's acting and stuff like that. Right. Like, that's what people the, the actually. And Barbara well, Stanwyck. Of course, yeah, Barbara Stanwyck. Stanwyck. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> I'm just like, if if we like look beyond just the sort of that as a surface level thing, right? Like that, like. It's it's like they all this extra stuff is probably not what drew people into the theater at all. Like even the plot was probably not that important. And it felt and it, and it, and if you're like just sort of like really just sitting down to just watch it and not really it's it's very quote unquote dramatic, right? Yeah, it's like, melodrama. There's all right? these it's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's like right. it's a soap opera and like yeah. it does a good job of being a soap opera. Right. Like it, it, it is just a good soap opera. Yeah, I'm uh, just not interested. <laughs> yeah, know? right. Like, it's just you don't like we don't watch soap operas. I don't right. know that no, I like yeah. melodrama so much. I mean, yeah. it's hard because I do. I, for instance, I talk about the TV show Lost being uh, uh, the thing that people really some really big sci-fi people and other people that I I really respect their opinions can't get behind Lost because Lost the TV show is like actually pretty interested in melodrama in a way that you wouldn't want. You know, a lot of network TV is like very interested in, in drama and melodrama right. in a way that you wouldn't want, uh, and it's something that. I appreciate in some doses, but I also, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, there are things that I really, really loved in this, but I don't know that I'm, I'm here for like the familial melodrama stuff, you know? Right. Or at least the <laughs> Vance and TC's familial yeah, I think that's melodrama right. stuff. I might be more interested in the Herrera's melodrama Maybe. stuff. Right. Well, right. But we'll never and know. The little, right? the little clip of it we get right. when... Uh, the brothers don't want to protect her anymore in that short scene. Uh, is it suggests there's interesting something going on there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with right. You. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I, in the end, right? There's like a lot that I really, really appreciate about a movie like this. I wouldn't necessarily say that this is one I'm going to think about a lot, but no, uh, yeah. I think that I think though that um, you know when I watch. More, I don't watch a lot of westerns, and so when I watch western kind of movies in the future, there's a very real chance this is the one that my brain's going to come back to and be like, "Oh, well, I actually appreciate how this is different from right. the typical westerns of the time, or whatever." So I, I might grow to appreciate this one in a different way, um, you know, as I as I. Uh, I being sort of a resident genre film kind of guy, Western is definitely not one of my genres. It's more sci-fi and fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it's, it it was a good experience to really, um, you know, see just a crowd pleasing Western from 1950 or whatever, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hung up on something we said earlier about maybe the movie wanting us to like TC. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think I think the movie definitely wants us to think that TC's death is a tragedy. But uh, and maybe thinking about the script again and the fact that he has he has replaced E Pluribus Unum with Friend of the American People, which is 11 longer letters right. in Latin or whatever he says, which is a very Donald Trump Right. Uh, brag too yeah. right but but he has re- he has replaced from one many with friend of the american people he's made it explicitly about himself as about as opposed to about a, a unity and and again he is a captain of industry in this area so i think there's 
there's something that someone in the background of this movie wants to say something right. deeper in that. Mm. Um, yeah. But I don't yeah, know if it actually this, successfully gets to screen. But I would also, I, I agree. I do think that is probably true. Um, uh, although, like, you get this sort of, like, especially if you consider the sort of era that we live in and eras that are not that, yeah. like, this the area the era that this movie is made in is a little bit different than the eras that preceded it and have followed it in the sense that like I'm not sure exactly how people felt about Robert Bear and Captains of Industry at in 1950 relative to in how they feel now yeah. and they felt not that long right before mm-hmm. this happened we're right, like where this was like a thing war, to long certainly. like we're like we're like if you think about the way sort of like somebody like uh, Carnegie or somebody like that gets like nowadays even sort of as like built as this larger than life like like awesome dude sort of mystique about them you know what i mean like uh yeah it's not that hard to imagine that like those people are exactly are no are fundamentally no different than tc and 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 well it's it's hard to know whether you're not whether you're supposed to read that as bad or not given the way american society has progressed over time, it's like another is this aspect a bad where I, I where know. I think we're supposed to read that as bad is not only uh, is Juan unjustly murdered, uh, he also kneels and says the right. Lord's prayer right. before that's they hang point. him. Yeah, that's a good yeah. Point. Um, so it's just it's another aspect where this guy isn't just the enemy of the Herreras; he is a stand-in for an enemy of American people at large, right, or at least yeah. of a class I'm, of American I, people. I, uh, I think that there's, I think you're right, that there's, you know, something here that's like, has has yeah. some interesting commentary to t- to say about, you know. Uh, I, right. I, you know, it, I think there's like a lot of gray. I don't know that it's very clear anybody in this is like good or bad. Right. And I also think that that would, was not acceptable to the people who finally put the polish on this movie, which is why you get right. that right. that thing at the end. Right. Where Vance and and trip or whatever his name is or like um you know yeah we're gonna put his name in three three mile high block letters or whatever the hell it was right yeah like, yeah you know right, I, I think right, the movie right. just is trying to do a couple of different things that aren't necessarily compatible with each other and i think you're right adam that there is something right. in this that is a i think a much more compelling uh and less annoyingly sort of inconsistent take on tc as a person right. that 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 the movie does seem interested in that and also in a in a uh sort of citizen came thing sure uh he is completely whitewashed in death right he becomes he becomes a hero despite the fact that we've seen him do these terrible things even the even people he has incredibly negatively affected directly are still we're gonna put his name in lights and worship him for eternity yeah uh, so I think Citizen Kane seems more aware of that <laughs> and right, is sort of right, talking right, about right, that, yeah, for whereas sure. this that's, is kind of just what doing Citizen it. Kane is actually about. Yeah. That's not <laughs> right. necessarily what this movie is yeah. overtly about. This right? is just doing the thing that Citizen Kane yeah. is kind of commenting <laughs> <Right>. on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's probably right. What, you know, yeah. Well, and I and that a lot has to probably to do with, like, who's making the movie and how it's being made and a lot of other stuff like that. Like, who knows? Well, we'll never know how far the movie wanted to go, or one of the you know the writers wanted to go, or anything like that. With that, like, you know, there's a world like the TC getting shot at the end, and that whole does sort of feel a little bit tacked on, honestly. 
it, it it is it does bow tie everything in a bow, but like having him be killed at the end eliminates all the complications involved with the fact that like they're gonna bring him back in and like he hurt them. You know what I mean? Like it eliminates yeah. it like it makes it so easy that it does feel like maybe it's like right. it could be like it feels like it could be like a studio edit. Like if the Wikipedia page were more like were longer and more detailed, this could be like the kind of movie where they're like and then the studio forced them to add this scene <laughs> at the end to tie everything up or whatever. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. We we read Similarly, plenty of Wikipedia articles that are like that. Right. Right. Similarly the fact that uh TC sort of accepts his canopics. Right. He doesn't rage against the fact that they paid him in his own script. He's just like, yeah. oh, yeah, that was smart. Good job. Yeah, damn, well, you got uh, me. Yeah, got me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that, to me, is what feels like a real studio thing, right? Like, I could <laughs> yeah, really yeah, absolutely, see, absolutely. you know, I could see a version of this where TC's, like, <laughs> really pissed, uh, yeah, you know, right. or even melancholy, right? Like, he's not, right. he doesn't even seem right. sad. I, I would, I'm kind of interested in, there could have been a take where he sees the script and he's like, well... I've really wasted my life, haven't I? I'd like to turn over <laughs> yeah. a new leaf and then get shot. You know, like him right. burning right. There's stuff that version in the street, for sure. You know, seems yeah. like it's a, a hint at that. So yeah, the, the only the only version to me that really doesn't work is a version where he's like, "Well, you got me. I still love my daughter." Oh no! Right. Well, you shot, mean the, the you know? one we like, got, right? That's the one exactly we got. right. The one we got. It's the right. Only right. One that like work. I I imagine <laughs> another version that I I found very interesting to imagine, kind of where I thought this was going to go initially before we actually watched, like before it ended, which is like he gets paid in the script, he gets real crazy upset, like he did earlier in the film. He runs out, and then like then there's a confrontation with the with with the mother, right? And it's like there's just this screaming crazed maniac. Who gets shot for his greed is a, in the is a version. Yeah, yeah, out right. in the streets, just like, just like he, you know, say he gets to yell something defiant and she shoots him. You know what I mean? But then the movie um, would never tolerate that because of how much love no. Vance has for her father, right? So right, I, right. absolutely I, not. Yeah. I, like a lot of stuff would have to be a little bit different in order to make this right. ending sort of make sense to me in anything. Yeah, other I, than I have a much angrier sort of movie in my mind. Yeah. Uh, let's be very clear here. <laughs> I have a more fun movie in my mind. Yeah, right? like absolutely. Said, you, know, you do. Like, right. You do. I'd be very interested I, I, in, you know, like a, yeah. a, 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 something even more adventurous, like her riding the rails and talking to bankers. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that stuff, you know? Like, right. I well, yeah, your five part series. Just her yeah, scheming, absolutely. You know, like, right. That would this be is fun her to watch. story, but we don't even see that aspect <laughs> right. of it, right? Her right. Keep in mind that that's where you get into that thing, though, right? Because, like, this movie kind of wants to have like a strong female lead. But like that's not how movies work, and so we we have to skip all the interesting things about what she did, so that we can kind of like compress it down and and make it so that she's only really important at those key stages of the film. Um, I think the I think well, the movie I, is not supremely interested in. Uh, I think that the movie I don't know how to put this. Um, I don't know that the movie's great at sh- at showing what is so interesting about anybody, and no, she yeah. is one of the biggest victims of that, right? And I don't right, think that's yeah. really a problem if it's just a, a dramatic kind of like swashbuckling tale or whatever. But the the sort of very um, 
the, the importance of character in this and the kinds of people that people are, it does sort of stick out that, that she's been characterized in a very uh, typical for women at the time way without a lot of detail, without a lot of agency, without really any idea what makes her interesting. It sticks out even more for her than it does for everybody else, but I'm not sure the movie is super good at sort of selling what is so interesting about anybody in it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think, yeah, it's a, it is a flaw about, like, all the characterizations. It's just especially interesting for her because she is the star of the movie. She is right. top billing. Uh, Robert Stanwyck is the is top billing for this movie, and, like, even her character is not that well fleshed out. And, and, she deserved and, better. And that's right. Well, yeah. And like Walter Houston makes out pretty well in this because he doesn't need characterization. It's all just painted all over the fucking walls. <laughs> Acting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the net result is that he gets the most characterization because he's like, well, they didn't give me very, very many or very good lines. So here <laughs> it goes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the last thing in my notes that we haven't touched on, uh, besides the fact that I apparently wasn't paying attention when I typed and wrote expository dialogue hmm. in my notes. Classic. Uh, don't <laughs> yeah. know quite what that means, but uh, it could be the, the scene where thing... she's like, "Oh, but Jose, we're childhood friends, and <laughs> right, we've known right, each right. other." Yeah, no, there's sure, a lot of expository yeah, dialogue yeah. at the start. Um, <laughs> But the only thing we haven't mentioned is that the accountant uh, seems to be played by a time-displaced Brian Doyle Murray, which uh, was <laughs> was surprising. That's pretty funny. Oh, I was uh, going to mention that um, uh, Rip Rip Darrow or whatever his name is. Uh, yeah. As soon as I saw him, I was like, "This man looks incredibly familiar," and I it was like gnawing at me, like, "Why does this seem like I know who this guy is?" And it turns out he was in. Listen, I'm sure a lot of very notable things. It seems like he's a total luminary. And also, he was in Women of the Prehistoric Planet, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. Nice. So, uh, yeah. so and as, soon as, I, as soon as I made that connection, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. That's why it recommended Astro Zombies to me, because he was in that Because <laughs> he's in okay. that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like, you like this movie. You want to watch Astro Zombies? And I was like, Maybe. <laughs> Why though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because no, Astro Zombies <laughs> is weird looking. Almost certainly, I want to watch Astro Zombies. Yeah, but. Astro Zombies <laughs> looks actually pretty rad. I'm like, I'm just gonna throw it out there because there appears to be no zombies in Astro Zombies. Um, no. no, they're they're they look just apparently to be aliens. I don't know. Got it. Somebody was playing fast and loose with the word with the word zombie, but I don't know. <laughs> it happens. Uh, well, I think we could call this to a close uh steven thank you so much for joining us uh look forward to having you uh again i think fairly soon we were talking about that but i can't remember what movie specifically so i don't know how far away me either but uh, uh i remember yeah. being excited about it so excited to yes. be here and excited to come back soon hopefully can i can i can i read the plot summary of astro zombies to like if you'd like to roll us out as our closer. i won't stop you <laughs> a disgruntled <laughs> scientist who having been fired by the space agency, decides to create superhuman monsters from the body parts of innocent murder victims. This is oh what boy. scientists do. Um, the creatures eventually escape and go on a killing spree, attracting the attention of both an international spy ring and the CIA. Huh. <laughs> I, I might watch that this afternoon. I'm yeah, huh. super uh, curious <laughs> in Astro Zombies, frankly. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Which spine number is Astro Zombies? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, if we wait long enough, yeah, they all uh, will. Isn't that the isn't yeah, that every another movie, core eventually. premise of this podcast? Is as time goes <laughs> yes. to infinity, all movies will be Criterion. <laughs> become almost. Criterion movies, yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. But Astro Zombies in particular, given uh, maybe I don't know what year it came out. Do you have that information? Uh, I just closed. The, oh no, no, I have it open. It came out. The people. In 1968. Ah, that's a little late. But as we as we know, the people who are in charge of the Criterion Collection have a soft spot for 50s and 60s horror sci-fi. Yeah, that they yeah. grew up watching. So there's a chance. That if it somebody in that co- in that cadre watched Astro Zombies while they were yeah. necking with their girlfriend in the parking lot <laughs> driving, yeah, they have a good memory tied to that. Well, and, and, also, end up. and also, Ripped Arrow was like the president of the Screen Actors Guild and a whole bunch of other oh, stuff. Yeah. So, like, there's a chance all of his movies will end up in here just because of that old Hollywoody kind of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Uh, well, next week we will be uh, switching gears from this, but but maybe not too much because it's still a. Oh, it's definitely about, about family tearing each other yeah, apart, yeah. And, yeah. And, and connection to land, too. Uh, with Before the Rain from 1994 from Macedonia, directed by uh, Milcho Menchevesky. Um, this is our first Macedonian film, certainly, and maybe our only Macedonian film. I haven't looked through, but that wouldn't surprise me. Well, they once they've checked that box off, once they've checked that box, it's time to move on. You know how the Criterion right. Collection works. Like, right. well, yep, we got one. Done yeah. and done. Indeed, indeed. But I do Back look forward to, to that. England. Look forward to talking with Pat about that because I've already watched it and uh, I think Pat will have some interesting things to say about it. So, yeah. Uh, again, thank you, Stephen, for joining us and thank you so much for listening. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we will see you next time. Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Pape. Check him out at jonathanpape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.